0: Welcome to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud, a podcast from LiveRamp that uncovers what's unsaid about technology, data, and business and explores how they intersect. I'm your host, Daniela Harkins, SVP of Commercial Strategy at LiveRamp. We're hearing more about data collaboration and partnerships these days, as companies use them to build customer intelligence and create the experiences both you and I love. It's data collaboration at work when we get Disney Plus with our Verizon plans or collect airline miles when using a particular credit card. But how are these close second-party data relationships faring when consumer awareness of data privacy is at an all-time high? How do you assure consumers that you respect their privacy while establishing trust and building new partnerships? there's a lot to unpack on data collaboration. So we invited two experts on the topic to discuss the latest. Here's Vihan Sharma, Managing Director of Europe from LiveRamp and Bruce Beagle, Senior Managing Partner from Winterberry Group, discussing where we are with data collaboration and where it's headed
1: beyond marketing. Bruce, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to join me for this podcast. I'm very excited to have this discussion around second-party data with you. Uh, How would you define uh, second-party data relationships, and uh, how how are you seeing this definition change over
2: time? Bihana, great to speak to you again. wish we were together in person, given that I'm coming from Miami today. It's been interesting because second-party data, people really thought of it in the context of a co-op. And as the ad tech world started to mature and use identity, it became simplified down to, you know, this is somebody else's first party data. And it's also what we would hear if we were inside an IAB or something like that. You start to unpack that. And, and especially with GDPR, with CCPA and CPRA, you know, you need to be a little bit more precise in the world of data and identity than I think we did when we were starting in the field. So when I think about second party data, it is data that is shared in an environment. It can be hosted by a third party or hosted by a brand or a a supplier. And that data can be used for insight. That data could be used for measurement. It's the act of commercialization that changes that data. If I'm going to now sell that to someone or license it, it becomes third party data. So I have my data, which is consented, That's my first party consent based data. My partner has their first party consent based data. We can put those two together and I have a second party data asset in a second party data repository.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating, Bruce. And I love this distinction of when a first party data set actually is second party And when it becomes third party, it's very. I I think it's it's a new way of thinking, which uh, I think is only going to progress as we uh, you know move along. As part of the research that you know you and the team at Winterberry did over the last uh, you know few months, were you surprised to see marketers define second party data in such different ways, or was it uh, not really a surprise when you started the the research?
2: Given years of of doing this and watching the market evolution the markets evolved in silos. So understanding second-party data depended on where you sat. If I'm in the measurement attribution side of the business, it was one thing. If I was contributing data and pulling it out of a co-op, it was something else. So depending on my role in the organization, I had a different perspective. And I didn't necessarily have that compliance view as well as a, a practitioner view. So we weren't very surprised to get a a broad set of responses to what is it, and it also came down to if I came from the offline world into the online world. You know, I just think about second party different. I think it also goes with the whole notion of partnering. You know, how do you partner with people, and who are you partnering? If I'm partnering across from one brand to another inside a company, do I think of it as second party data? No, we're we're all part of the enterprise, except for the fact that the consent permission is different. So I don't think about it as the market would wanna say, this is first, this is second, this is third. You know, I just think about it, what rights do I have and what can I do with it? And I don't think about that state. When you have gone through this you know, and, and you've been out there speaking to people you know, across the states and, and across Europe, were you surprised to see the, the findings in the survey?
1: Yes, uh, yes, that's that's uh, actually a good question. I I was indeed surprised that people thought about second party data in the way you know they described or they mentioned in the in the report. For me, you know, when I talk to customers today, there is a at least from a European perspective, there's a slightly different way of looking at it versus what you would see in the U.S. In Europe, companies or brands want to better understand their customers. Right, that is the basic principle of having access to data. I think we all in the ad tech, MarTech ecosystem talk about activation or measurement or or other outcomes. Whereas, if I'm a brand advertiser uh, or a brand marketer, today, the capacity that I have to understand my customer is very, very limited if I only rely on my own data and I go and purchase third-party data assets. Because in Europe, uh, since GDPR, this notion of third-party data asset is kind of, you know, becoming non-existent. And so what we are seeing uh, in market is looking, you know, advertisers looking to create new partnerships to better create a single customer view. And this is like such an old word, right? I mean, we we have both been… In, well, in- you don't
2: want a 360-degree view of your customer?
1: yes right and i don't think it was ever actually completely possible to build the the 360 degree view but whatever was possible has been like divided by three four five does this notion of third-party data uh, availability kind of disappears but it's also an opportunity for advertisers to create new partnerships with other advertisers or other partners that they have you know to access data sets to complete a better uh, you know view of the of the consumer and that is what we basically see when we hear about second party it is more about I want to complete the view of the customer whether I Whether I activate or whether I measure, that's a a next step. But the first is, I just don't have access to data. I know other companies have access to first-party data, which will be interesting to me. So how do you actually get access in a privacy-friendly way? So that's what uh, we are seeing.
2: Yeah, I think it brings up two points to my mind. One, when you're developing insights, somebody used to say, when I was in data business, you only have 500 attributes on your data file about these individuals or this business, et cetera. And somebody else has 10,000 attributes, but the modeling people are gonna use seven. (laughs) The problem is every analytics professional, depending on the problem they're looking to solve, could have a different seven. So you wind up needing hundreds and thousands of attributes to choose from. So when you're going to build the insights, Yes, there, there's directionally, you know what you're looking for, but you don't exactly know what is going to be that key attribute, that key indicator, and having a place to go play. And I think that as the, the role of analytics has changed, and there's more science, there's better tools being applied, they want all the data. And I know we can have all the data, but they want enough. They've got theirs. They've been staring at it and they're waiting for a partner to come in. That could be a third party who's a compiler that has enriched assets. They could be intent assets, contextual assets. It could be all sorts of different. They could be transactional data. I'm gonna take all of that. I've looked at mine. Now, is there a place that we can safely share? And, And safe is a big word because I think when I partner, it's not just about the rights I have, what I can do with it, but it's also security. I need to be comfortable that if I'm going to move the data, that it's moved it to a secure place and that I can take it out and someone else can't take a copy of it away. So I think about, was the data consented? Do I have the right to look at it? Do I have the permission from my partner to look at it? And that could be between a brand within itself. That could be a brand in their agency. That could be a brand in another brand. We're seeing publisher co-ops but it comes down to what permission do I have and what level of permission? Because I don't want to expose my data and and wind up in trouble. So I think it's, as we think about this notion, we think about how do we partner and what are the rules of the road? And I know you've been working a lot on this as you've been rolling out Safe Haven and building on Safe Haven because it's not like Safe Haven sprung up yesterday, it's been around, but, but the market's evolving. What do you see from your customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, this whole notion of control was really very important when we started talking about you know, Safe Haven as a platform. And advertisers, when they have data, they completely want to have trust that their, their data is not going to be misused. And I think historically, when you were doing a particular campaign and you are using a third party to do the matching, you felt comfortable because you were sending the files to somebody who is trusted. However, in a lot of the the industries we operated in like you know, retail CPG or you know the travel industry, etc., you have network of partners who have a very different way of looking at each other, right? So there is no, no inherent trust between parties. And when we started building or thinking about Safe Haven, we wanted to ensure that we bring this level of control back to the parties who are there to collaborate with each other. So that when I am permissioning as an advertiser, a dataset which can only be used for insights, I want to ensure that the platform I am going to use actually has this capability to restrict usage of that data to insights only. This is how Safe Haven was built. And I think today we are seeing more requirements coming in from advertisers who are basically saying, I want to only share a particular view. I want to have all my data in an environment, but with a partner, one, I will share a very specific view, which I feel comfortable with. But with partner B, I'm going to share something completely different. And I want to be able to have those capabilities into a platform which makes collaboration very, very, easy at the same time you know allowing for me to control exactly you know what data uh, i share with who I want to share with you need a collaboration engine which is going to be able to handle this kind of complexity in order for you know brands to feel comfortable that they can you know partner with multiple companies using a single platform because it's all about scale. I mean, you want to be able to have a network effect as an advertiser uh, so that you know the value you unlock is by having multiple partners. So that's a trend we absolutely see coming along in the market and believe that is crucial for success. When you are looking at advertisers, have you seen any other uh, you know, industries outside of retail uh, CPG who are thinking about collaboration as uh, a key driver of change within their business plans?
2: So absolutely retail CPG, and also with the rise of retail media markets and retail marketing, we're seeing bigger emphasis on how does a brand share with their retail partner? Travel and hospitality, we're seeing pretty good growth. I think that the two that are most challenged will be regulated, financial services and healthcare. Yet for insight, this is far more approachable. And the interesting thing is if if you were a a bank credit card provider and you had a partnership with a co-branded card with a travel company or a hospitality company, et cetera, you were already sharing, but you were really careful about, you know, the credit card company could take in and promote, you know, it was not bi-directional and there was not enough of a view, but I think this really enables those type of partnerships to go to a next level. And healthcare, they're moving in the right direction, but again, that data is even more sensitive. Media entertainment's always been a sharer. Auto was less in the sharing mode, but I think they've got a lot of use cases, especially global use cases, because of, of the scale of the manufacturers and the fact that in some areas, the dealer network is separate from the automotive brand. So now you've got, how does tier one and tier three collaborate? Those are some, and of course, the, the charity world, the not-for-profit, they've always exchanged everything and they're usually exempt from most rules, which is why if you donate to one, you show up on 10 other lists. But, you know, again, they don't want to spend a lot of their budget. They just want to have a cross licensing ability. So we, we tend to see them more in the co-ops than actually using shared analytic environments.
1: You know, I think when we are talking to some of the, you know, some of our customers, we believe that, you know, we have been talking about some things for a long time, right? The digital transformation. This is like a key topic. And, you know, everybody said, well, COVID changed and accelerated digital transformation. You know, I think uh, from what I see and what we see within our clients, we actually believe collaboration is one of the foundational elements required for digital transformation of an enterprise, because today, as you mentioned, companies have the, you know many brands within their own holding uh, environments. They do not share data today. They have a huge partner network, like the Carrefour's or the other retailers. But they, everybody is kind of uh, you know keeping their data within their own environments because they do not actually trust what is going to happen with this data, right? If we talk about digital transformation you know, it is not just about technology. I actually believe it is about data access and being able to leverage technology to create new insights, new outcomes that we probably have not seen in the past. First of all, do you agree with the statement that I just made? Uh, secondly, uh, you know, have you seen uh, advertisers and brands thinking along these ways when we, they think about digital transformation? You
2: know, think about them as companies and enterprises now because I think the use cases go beyond the advertising and marketing use cases. If I'm doing a digital transformation project. I'm trying to do supply chain optimization and I've got a long supply chain and I need to be able to understand that data, feed it forward to me, feed it back. But you know, some of that data is very proprietary. So you need to be able to collaborate with your supply chain, whether you're in the advertising world or, or in the products side of this. I see a lot of product applications around this. I remember doing a data strategy assignment and the first part of it was a data assessment. And what we figured out was can't find the data. It was squirreled away in every little nook and cranny, and you could spend months finding data. I think GDPR forced change. It's like, okay, you have to take the data out of the silos because if somebody asks for the data, you need to be able to provide it back. I think, regulation has been very good because it forced the market to prepare for this next generation of collaboration. I
1: totally agree with you, Bruce. I think not having a proper first-party data asset is actually, it's probably the first thing you need to do if you are thinking about, you know, collaborating at scale. And some of the use cases, you know, around supply chain, we are seeing this in the retail ecosystem where clients are not only asking us for marketing use cases, but they're trying to do new uh, innovative things based on other parts of their businesses. My next question would be around some of the challenges, right? Because we have talked about what is possible. But when you speak to the different uh, advertisers, agency, ad tech providers, et cetera, what are some of the key challenges that you see when thinking about collaboration or thinking about this notion of second party data?
2: There's a whole set of, of access requirements and objective setting. And if they're not clear on their objectives, it's hard to get somebody to say, great, let's just throw it in there because of those barriers of compliance, IT security, privacy, et cetera. So you really need to button up your use cases. And I think the market has been focused on their first party data strategy, but as you also saw from the survey data, they're not there yet. It's definitely in process. So if we spent the last couple of years finding the data, working on consent, really managing that data layer, we think that the decisioning use cases, what do I need to do in the customer journey? What do I need to do in a product life cycle? Whatever that is, I think that they're now wrapping their brains around what am I going to do with it and why? So I can rationalize. Until you have that, that change management of going from, oh, this is mine to second party, this is ours to share and, and both benefit. It, that's the big journey. Because once you're there, the actual physical doing it, is not the challenge here. It's the people part of the organization
1: i love this notion of what you're describing is that it's a journey because i think when we look at collaboration today in the market there is you know we talk a lot about like clean rooms okay uh, or being able to do measurement you know in uh, in Wall garden universes right and fundamentally we believe collaboration is a life cycle right i mean you need to have a uh, you know your first party data as you mentioned you need to be on a journey where you're not just talking about campaign measurement i do believe that you you know, clean rooms are an important uh, and integral part of our advertising ecosystem. But I think collaboration overall as a concept is much larger. And as you uh, mentioned, you know, it goes beyond just advertising. How would you advise brands who are thinking about second-party data, about collaboration, to, to think about this journey?
2: Look, if, if you're going to go in and out of a wealth garden, the wealth gardens are not letting the data out or they'll let uh, segments of that data out but you don't market in just one garden so you have to look at this and say there's a whole landscape here and that customer keeps going in and out of different gardens and going you know off the private gardens and they're and they're in the open web and think holistically about that journey because we behave differently depending on where we are and so I need insight from multiple places so just having a clean room, that works with a particular walled garden, isn't the answer. It's part of an answer. I may need to take insights from there and say, I've got these learnings. How do I apply these learnings to the next set of customer journeys and the next set of data so that I have a more holistic picture of measurement and attribution? Measurement mm-hmm. attribution is hard. It's hard in the best of times, but when you lose pieces and you've got all these black holes, it gets even harder but I think you gotta walk before you run. So picking the use cases that allow you to operate across the broadest part of the online and offline ecosystem is probably going to benefit you the most.
1: I think we are at the very, very beginning of, uh, you know, what collaboration will look like, uh, you know, in the future. I think uh, some of the key trends. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, I think the non-movement of data is an important part, you know, of uh, the story. And I do think it's actually about regulation. I think it's more about trust. Right? It's clients need to feel comfortable uh, that their data sits. Within their own control, uh, and if they feel comfortable, I think you know the the chances that they would collaborate or share a view of that data with somebody is uh, higher than you know than in a state where uh, you know you are basically you know moving the data. So I think we we foundationally believe that is one of the key components. I think there is this no whole notion around. Uh, you know, the data is being migrated to the clouds today, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, every industry is actually doing that. And in order for a company to be successful, you kind of need to ensure that your technology can work across these different environments where the data actually lives. And so, you know, having something like data fleets was a key requirement for us when you see those two trends, which is building trust and ensuring that you can collaborate across the multiple uh, you know clouds, which are going to be very important for data management going forwards. Bruce, any recommendations, guidance that you would like, or uh, you know predictions that you would like to share with the audience here?
2: I do think that this is going to see accelerated growth as we get into twenty two and into twenty three. I don't see the changes that the browsers are making holding back collaboration because it's not just about them and what they do. And it's also, we're going to see the extension of these technology use cases. And and the reason we call them technical data environments, because they're not MarTech or tech. They're not put in one bucket. Yes, they are technology. They're one of the 8,000 technologies out there, but it's gonna have to span because I don't think the organization, just like you don't need 10 CRM databases, you don't need 20 different collaboration data environments because it's it's too hard to maintain. So I do think that brands will settle on a handful for specific use cases and some for more generalized. But I, I think that just because this is people in process transformation at a time when everybody's worried about cookie deprecation and the rest, that, that it takes longer because the market is in movement It's in more movement than I think we had in the last six or seven years. You know, death of the cookie shook up the environment. Last year was talk. This year is action. Next year is a dose of reality. I think that's where we are. But Vian, this was great. It's always good to talk to you. Hopefully it'll be in San Sebastian or Cadiz or in Paris when we have our next conversation, perhaps over a cocktail. But but really, thank you for having me on today.
1: Oh, thank you, Bruce, and very nice to talk to you as well. And I do hope we get to uh, meet this year in person and, uh, you know, enjoy a so thank you for taking
2: the time. Take care. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Bruce and Vihan for a really wonderful primer on where we are with data collaboration. If you want to learn more, join our webinar on March 25th at 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring Bruce Beagle from Winterbury, who you just heard alongside Gareth Davies VP Product Safe Haven at LiveRamp. They'll be discussing ways to jumpstart a data collaboration strategy, a roadmap for success and pitfalls to avoid. You'll find the link to register in our show notes. This podcast was brought to you by LiveRamp. You can find us online at liveramp.com and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at LiveRamp. Subscribe to Saying the Quiet Part Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts.